0: everyone you're now part of the b2b power hour I'm your host Nicholas thicket and I'm Morgan Smith here we dive into a world dominated by outdated playbooks and old-school tactics to compare the b2b companies that are achieving sales at scale and making real money in the process join us for weekly interviews and live shows with industry experts and senior leaders diving into the go-to-market strategies that built their success now on to today's episode. Well, hello everyone and hello, Megan. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Hello, thanks so much for having me as always.
0: It's gonna be an exciting session, helping all these sellers become more productive one hour at a time. And hey, who who doesn't wanna get better at discovery?
1: Well, I would argue with that. I feel like a lot of people don't know that they have a discovery issue right? When, when I was in enablement, I almost never got requests for discovery training. I got, um, I got a lot of requests for things like pricing and negotiation. Because um, I think a lot of people don't realize the root of a lot of their problems that they see.
0: Interesting. So guests, <laughs> new peeps, return customers, Jeffrey, do you guys want to get better at discovery? Do you think your discoveries rock solid? Let's throw it in the comments and let's start it off. What questions do you have about discovery? What is something you've always wondered? I know one thing I've always wondered is, can you start discovery in the DMS? Should you? Something we can go and discuss, but
1: because yeah. I'm sure
0: there's do's and don'ts of doing that as well. Because nobody likes getting interrogated. But thanks for joining us, Josh. What do you think? Where should we start off?
1: Yeah, and as you're as you're uh as people are joining, um I'll actually I would love to start with just like the challenges I see a lot of people facing in their sales process and almost like the 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 things that you may notice about your sales process that might indicate that you have a discovery problem. That's and neat. I want your perspective on that too. So You may have a discovery problem if you get to negotiation and you feel like you are constantly having to discount um, or you just have, you're losing deals, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's not enough value, especially if, if clients are constantly saying to you that that's just way too expensive. A lot of people think that they need pricing training or negotiation training, but that is a discovery problem. Deals are won and lost in discovery and you know, when we talk about discovery, I mean, yes, uh, early in the sales process, that discovery stage, but also we should be discovering the entire process. Um, I also see a lot of clients that come to me and they're like, so I'm getting ghosted a lot. I just, Mm. I have a lot of clients that they seem really interested. They're excited. They want to move forward. And then they just don't talk to me for months. And in a, in a, an okay world they're like they come back you know five months later three months later and they're like yeah we want to move forward now and cl- and people consider that a, you know they're like yeah that's awesome like i'm not getting ghosted they're coming back three months later and i'm like what if you could eliminate that three months though <laughs> right mm-hmm. what if you could actually um really eliminate the time where they're they're you're not building urgency Um, And this is a common one that I get with people who are more familiar that they might have have some challenges during discovery. A lot of people, uh, they tell me, I just don't, I get out of discovery and I feel like I haven't uncovered a lot and I just don't know how to get more, right? Like clients aren't very forthcoming. Like I ask questions, they just don't give me a lot. And I get out of discovery and I look at my notes and I'm like, so yeah, I uncovered a few things, but I just don't really understand still that why, what they want to do, why it's important, or you have very specific challenges with discovery, right? Like I hear, um, I really struggle to push them to the next steps. I, I just like cannot seem to get access to higher level stakeholders. Um, I, or even like during the pricing and negotiation stage, people really uh they have one person that's really engaged and really excited and then they come back with the dreaded hey like this actually just isn't a priority for us right now there or there's been misalignments and i just could we couldn't get this approved maybe we want to do this but in like a year you know so i think a lot of us struggle with those things and again for me those are all rooted in discovery challenges
0: Well, when I first started, I think the two most common things, and of course, what did they hire us when we did this was closing training, negotiation training was their fix. But the two most common things were we were getting ghosted after doing our proposal. And then the other one was that the way you had just said, we would, we'd sell the champion. Champion was on board. They go to go and present it to the committee Mm -hmm. and it would just die. And we never got feedback. Mm -hmm. They never told us anything. They just said the same thing. It's not a priority right now.
1: Yeah, you hear that a lot. Um, And it's, I I think the the funny thing is that that's why a lot of people I I love someone in the comments mentioned, um, I just don't really know what to ask. You know, it comes with experience. And and that's the hard part, right? Is I, I think a lot of people know they, they see the symptoms of bad discovery or not enough discovery or just like ch- discovery challenges and they don't know how to improve. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to dive in. I feel like we, on our, our last podcast episode, we talked a lot about like the discovery challenges, but I, I'm excited to get a little bit more tactical on um, ways to improve and, 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 I will say it's not always easy, you know. Like better selling um, does require a lot of effort, and there's a huge difference between ease and easy. I think a lot of people in sales just do the easy, which is doing what everyone else is doing, doing what's comfortable for you. Um, they're they're really looking for those like quick hacks, quick fixes. And if something doesn't work immediately, they just give up on it. But I believe that better selling brings a lot of ease, right? Um, I think you look at the at certain sellers and, and especially in the organization, like when I was a young seller, I would look at these people who were doing really good discovery and like, great. And I'm like, how are they doing this? How did they learn this? It looks easy, but mm-hmm. it's actually ease. Because once you do the hard work around discovery, it takes a lot. And we can talk about some of that effort. Um, once you do the hard process of breaking your current habits, incorporating better discovery, and also just being comfortable being uncomfortable sometimes, right? Like it's hard to ask a few new questions. It's hard getting those talk tracks down. So we can also talk about some ways of of streamlining that process, but um, you know, better selling brings a lot of ease, but it sure as hell is not easy.
0: No. And like, and we're going to get into like the limits of discovery 1.0, but like, it's like a golf swing. You can't see mm-hmm. yourself unless you're recording. So unless you're recording your zoom calls and you're watching your game tape and understanding where the disconnect happened, yeah. but you only know what you know. So if you yeah. can't see that, like, I know that's one thing you say all the time. I'm like, yeah, if you wouldn't know what to look for, then you're not going to see it. And also too, I noticed that a lot of people that we talk with for social selling and they're like, well, it's working, but I don't know what to do after that, like to how to navigate that sale. I noticed that they try to make it really linear. First you do this, then you do this. And like, can you just give me like a 10 point list that I just check off one after the other? And it's like, well, if only humans were rational and you know, you could just go A, B, C, D and not A, E, C, <laughs> jump around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a deeper issue there um, because I have a lot of people who, because sales management, I think has just like gone so much towards like micromanagement in the last few years. um, Sales used to be a really autonomous role, used to figure things out and have a lot of control over how you did things. And especially with things like Gong, which I was so excited for when it first came out. Um, I actually see a lot of people just micromanaging, right? I got the question from marketing. Can you just tell me when people are not following the talk tracks? And I'm like, no, because the talk tracks are garbage and this is not how we're using this system. <laughs> like I want people to customize the talk tracks for different prospects. I want people to really own their talk tracks and, and, and really like bring their personal style to their cell. Um, there are some really great functions of these, of these uh, systems we're using But one thing I see is a lot of people are just looking for the how to, right? Tell Mm -hmm. me the like questions to ask, et cetera. But one thing I feel like we're really missing is understanding the why behind those things. Mm -hmm. And this is where I see a lot of people are just handed talk tracks and questions, not even questions, usually just talk tracks from marketing. And we wonder why people are just being like pitch slapped, you know, like going through a pitch and they're like, why isn't it working? This is what marketing told me to do. And I really want to challenge people to understand, like, first, what we're trying to uncover through discovery, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and even, like, one, one thing I find uh, really helpful is, um, for me, I keep it really simple. Like, the, th- the three main things we're trying to uncover in the sales process through discovery, you might know where I'm going with this, mm-hmm. is why change? What is behind, you know, their decision? What are the pain points, the, the gain points, the aspirational things they want to achieve? Why you? I think this is where we most often go. We don't even try to understand the why change. Maybe we ask like one question and we're just like, okay, like here's how we do that, right? We get happy ears. Um, and also, why now? I think a lot of this is where the ghosting happens, where we don't have enough value or we don't have enough urgency, So even if you just take one thing from this meeting, from this session, like why change, why you, why now? Those are the three things we're trying to uncover through discovery. And if you can just ask more questions to uncover those three things, then, and and I think that the challenge with like super tactical things, we're gonna get tactical, but like only understanding the tactics is that it doesn't allow you flexibility, right? Uh, We've all had those calls likely where they're like, Hey, so we only have 30 minutes. And your brain is like, oh my goodness, how do I fit these like 25 slides into 30 minutes? And great selling understands the the, the why. So we're able to achieve more even within really adaptable climates. And this is also hugely critical. I think a lot of us went through COVID. And you saw the difference between sellers who understood the why and sellers who were just, who just like understood the talk tracks, the tactics, and they're like, I need to wait for marketing to give me the new talk tracks. And that takes a lot of time, right? So, but the better sellers, they really understood how to change their process for these situations. So there's, um, there's a huge, importance that I don't think we're seeing in sales today, which is understanding what we're trying to achieve before we understand how we're going to achieve that.
0: And I think one of the hardest parts is overcoming or like overcoming that fear of activity. And we get so caught up and I need to look busy and I need to show activity. and I just need to have meetings. And it's one of the biggest things that I changed was I needed to have five meaningful conversations a day.
1: Yeah. And I think
0: it's so hard when your manager is always on you. Well, you need more activities. But if I'm not talking to the right people, if I'm not getting to the why and really getting deep on my discovery, mm-hmm. you're going to keep getting ghosted. You're going to have deals that have are going to fall apart and churn. They're going to be really low value. You're going to be playing the discount game. So all the stuff we get taught it falls apart. And even like scripting, they give us a script. Scripts are great to start. Mm hmm. But nobody ever tells you why those words are put in there. And like your roles and goals. If somebody just told me to go and do roles and goals and you gave me that layout, I would be hopelessly lost. And it wouldn't make sense because I wouldn't understand why it's okay to spend a half an hour letting people talk about that because there's so much value in it. And Mm -hmm. they'll rush through like, well, I don't want to listen to them just talk about all this crap. It's not related to my, you know, what I'm selling. Like, no, you missed it. You missed it. Oh my God. Yeah. You missed it.
1: Oh my gosh, it's wild that you mentioned that because that's the number one uh, piece of feedback I get from roles and goals. And if, if anyone has not heard of this term, it's it's my um, it's my way of starting off conversation. So I usually actually start with a, a little bit of a small talk question and small talk is not small. Small talk is really about um, building rapport. So like my like super easy way to, to build a rapport, first question you ask on a call is, is one of two questions, depending on what day it is. On Monday, how was your weekend? On any other day, how has your week been? Um, But after that, I like to ask the question, hey, like, I would love to start off with just understanding more deeply about your role, and some of your key goals for the next two years. And I love that you just mentioned the big uh, feedback that I get is, okay, so like, I tried this question and they're just talking about their goals for like five minutes. When am I going to talk about my products? Like it's really limiting the time that I have to talk about my product. I, I actually get this feedback. Right. Um, and one thing I always tell people is again, like it goes back to the three whys. that question unlocks why change super quickly. And not just why change in terms of like the lower level symptomatic pain, like the really like end user pain, but it like that question is so deep in terms of even like that the I I really ask like over the next two years, what are your goals? Because it's high level, and so it's really interesting um, because that feedback I get, uh, I think it goes down to a core fear. Um, I think a lot of people really believe that like the product is going to sell itself. And like, we need to remember that people do not, okay, it's about to curse. People do not care about you and your product. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> people care about what they're going to achieve or solve through you as a partner and your product.
0: No, Megan, I wake up every night and I'm like, you know what I really need is that piece of software. You know, that, if I just had a new CRM, it would change everything. And you know what? I think I'll spend like 20000 on it. Yeah, no, that's a perfect number. Like I have that budget yeah. just sitting there ready.
1: And also, I think a lot of times people feel like um, when, when Discovery, like when their pitch doesn't work, they're, they instead of like really like figuring out, okay, like what's going wrong? Maybe this pitching thing isn't working. Instead, a lot of times they just add more pitch. You know, they're like, if I can just fit a little bit more about the product, they would understand they would see it, you know? They get and louder and faster. <laughs> yeah, they get louder and faster and they're like, let me throw more in. Right. Like when I first came to my last organization, my full-time um, company, um, I, they were using like 15 slides, 20 slides on the first conversation. And I was like, okay, I'm going to allow you to like use slides. Cause this is a very visual product, but like five slides and how can we get to the core message that we want to say? And I think this really um, comes down to something you mentioned earlier, which is that hustle. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest challenges that we have as sellers, the sellers I work with every day, is that ease and easy, right? So many people were spending hours just like, you know, uh, do, like preparing presentations. And for me, I don't spend hours doing presentations. I do usually an hour on a presentation um, and I, you know, even like on a conversation or notes, things like that. And then I usually give myself an hour or like uh, even a day to just like meditate on it to really think about like, okay, I've done some notes here, but like, what is the core message that I want to say? And I would actually rather spend an hour not on what I should add to the presentation, but what I should take away. You know, like what, what are the, like, these are the 15 ideas I have. And this is also really interesting when it comes to people's approach to presentations for clients, et cetera. So many people, we get stuck and we're like, okay, I think that they might, you know, it, it could be really interesting. They might do this. They might do that. And you spend like hours, like do, you know, creating this talk track instead of sometimes we just just ask our clients that's actually a great outlet of discovery and um i think it was uh jenny that mentioned in the comments she's like i would love to have a handful of quality conversations than <laughs> pitching right pitching mm-hmm. doesn't feel good for sellers either it doesn't feel good for clients doesn't feel good for sellers if we can just ditch the pitch and start having real conversations you know, when we talk to our friends, do we, like, prepare this, like, long talk track and, like, pitch at them? No. We ask them meaningful questions. We listen deeply. Um, well, hopeful. hopefully we we all do, right? Like, let's be real. Better, better discovery has actually deeply helped my relationships. Um, so I definitely think that there's uh, that e- even focusing on discovery, we should actually – really be focusing our time on how can I ask more questions and how can I pitch less?
0: Yeah. One one thing I got from the science of selling that really changed things for me was I started using basically like building those building blocks to build my proposal. And so before I would spend too long, we'll just say too long because it's embarrassing to say how long. Mm-hmm. I'm building my proposals. And all of a sudden, because I was building it as I was going, and I was going through, it was almost done. I just had to go and fine tune it. But thinking about what you were saying earlier about, okay, what can I take out of here? What doesn't need to be in here? What's that main problem statement? What's that main solution statement? What do they need to see to sell it internally? Yeah. It just changes the whole game. Because now you're actually trying to look through their eyes. You're like, okay, you told me. Now you've trusted me to help you sell this in house. Yeah. So how, how can we flip the script here and say, okay, what can we do? How do, how do we go and sell this to your peers? What are going to be some of the things that they're going to not like?
1: Yeah. And, um, pro tip for discovery, I think a lot of salespeople, they, they think that great selling means that you as the salesperson has all the answers, you know, like we, we have, we know all of these things. And especially with younger, less tenured sellers, I see this, right? Like they're all, they're like, again, I don't really, I don't know as much. Like I'm really afraid if I ask a question, I'm not going to know what they mean by it. Or not. And I think that's also a fear why we don't ask as many discovery questions because we don't have as much control over the conversation. This is also something we don't talk about. Like we, you know, more, more senior sellers and trainers, we always talk like, just stop pitching. And we don't understand that pitching is comfortable. You have control over the pitch. When you start asking questions, it's really scary. And a lot of people, they also, they're like, I need to have like the most advanced, like really, really fantastic question. Sometimes the best questions are really simple. And, you know, wh- how I'm, um, like what inspired me about what you just said is like, even all those questions that go through your mind as a seller, like, what are they going to need? I don't know if they're going to do this or this, or I don't know what the process is. Just ask. So even for me, how I do my proposals, this is what I call continuous discovery because it continues through the discovery process. Again, discovery is not just a stage in the process, it is a skill. And when we think about like proposals, a lot of times we're like, hey, here's the pricing. Let me know what you think, email me later. Let me. And <laughs> I have a ton of discovery in my proposal. So what I actually do is I have two slides I'm like, hey, before we go into the pricing, I want to summarize what we've heard so far and make sure that I got it right. And also, I want to make sure we have a few new people on the call today. I want to make sure that we get your perspective on these challenges. So usually, uh, and I actually do this after every, I do it for discovery before I do the solutions or, you know, what would normally be a demo. Uh, I don't sell technology anymore. Uh, I'm a sales trainer. But... Um, I actually say, "Hey, here's what I've heard," and I actually have two columns in my pain slide. I'm like, "This is what we're solving." I have one column for here are the um, the current state challenges you've talked about, and I'm not going to lie; most of the time, I have like three bullet, three main bullet points, and I'm like, "What?" and and I'm uh, you know, I feel a little bit of anxiety. I'm like, "I should have done a better job discovering," you know, um, hmm. that is okay. Because then I ask, hey, I'm going to take it out of presentation mode. What would you, what would you add here? And then, and, and usually I get a lot from the client, like, yeah, I've been thinking about it as well. One thing I think we didn't talk about is this. The next column I have right next to that is the deeper and long-term impact. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we not only need to achieve, um, understand pain, gain, but also impact. And so even you see these templates and I'm happy to send out this template. Um, I I actually have another slide after that, which I go into what we're trying to achieve and templates like this. I do believe that like tactics, if we understand what we're trying to achieve, right? Pain gain and impact is really helpful for recognizing that we as sellers are not going to be perfect. I also get out of a one hour call and I, you know, I, I usually let them talk a lot if I'm doing my job that I'm asking open-ended questions or we can talk about some of those, but they're talking a lot. And sometimes I get out of the call and I'm like, oh, I didn't uncover everything I wanted to on that call. So the next call, I'm going to go deeper, right? That's the difference between discovery as a call or a part of the sales process and discovery as a skill, really asking them those questions of what would you add here? What did, you know, and even like when we have new stakeholders on the call, I ask to say, hey, here's what we've uncovered so far from your perspective and your role. I'm sure you have a few you have a different view on these challenges. What would you add here? And it's so helpful, like we don't have to be perfect, just asking our clients those those questions and like the questions that you asked in your mind of like, what do they need to solve this and to sell this internally? Just ask them, right? I love uh, one thing that I think that we're missing a lot of is expectations and selling. And I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of calls where people try to do better discovery. They ask more questions, and it very quickly turns into a um, a checklist, right? And this is where I think a lot of people struggle with better discovery or more discovery because they don't set the expectation they don't give the client the why behind it you know so they just show up and the client's like expecting a demo and or expecting a presentation you know we're not only competing against our competitors like our direct competitors we're also competing against every bad seller that has ever sold to our clients and the expectations that they have of selling based on those situations, you know? Yeah. And have you ever gotten the, the the feedback like, hey, I'm sorry. I thought I was here to like learn about your company. Can we just like get to that?
0: Oh, yeah. All the all the time. But I think it's it's what people default to because it's what's comfortable mm-hmm. for them too. Just tell me what I mm-hmm. need to know that I couldn't find on your website just so I can take it back and make a decision without you here pressuring me. And like you said, because you didn't set the expectation, I think it's fear-based.
1: Yeah. How do you set good expectations for better selling, better discovery?
0: <laughs> so what I, I took it from public speaking and I, I really practiced my open. Yeah. And the one thing I noticed that made the biggest difference was tonality. And really making it open, I, w- I would tell people, and I would joke because it's part of my personality. And I was like... My fear is that discovery turns into an interrogation. Mm-hmm. I want to let you know that I really want this to be a conversation where I want you to ask all the questions that you have. I'm definitely going to ask you questions, and you know, you do that upfront contract. And mm-hmm. at the end, you know, it's on. You know, I'm not going to ask you if you want to buy. We're just going to go and set the next steps if it makes sense.
1: And I feel like trainers use the upfront contract so often that we feel like it's like totally understood and and commonly used it is not so like how what do you what is the upfront contract
0: it's basically if you were if you walked into a store and they had signage on the front and it said nobody's gonna greet you look at you please we'll be standing at the front desk if you need us you walking in with an upfront contract knowing what to expect And so all it is, is people get this uncomfortable spot. The most deals die because it's that miscommunication of expectations. But when you're telling Mm -hmm. them right off the bat, this is the purpose of the call today. This is your role. This is my role. And if if that's okay, this is what we'll do today. And this is kind of what we're looking to get out of it. Do you agree? Is that fair?
1: Yeah. And um, I usually start... So my getting a little bit more tactical, right? On kind of the discovery process. I usually start with that, uh, the rapport building question. And it's wild too, how many people are just like, they come into the call and their expectation is that they're going to be sold to. Mm -hmm. Their expectation is that you're going to be like, hello, thank you for joining the call today. This is my agenda. I would like to do this. I would like to pitch at you and I would like to do this. And they're like, yep, yep, yep. I, I know this drill. And even for you to ask a question, like how was your weekend? People are like, you actually, I, I love listening to people ask this question on calls because people immediately like stop multitasking. They're like, oh man, it was so good. I like went to this like sports game, whatever. And, and like, this was like real, I, I say sports game, like don't know anything about sports. Right. But it's, it's fun because you can just like ask questions and have a conversation. Then I like asking them about the roles and goals, right? Hey, love to start the conversation with just a clear understanding of your role and some of your key goals. And then the upfront contract for me, um, I say, hey, thank you so much. You've already given me a lot of really great information. So typically, the way this call goes is, is we want to um, really understand more about what you're looking to achieve, some of the pain points, like some of the challenges you're experiencing, um, and what that will do is help me create a custom solution for you. You could do a lot of different things with our solution or you know our product. So um, typically a next step is a custom demo, or (laughs) this is what the talk track for, I think most of the the people you work with are SaaS sellers, right? The -hmm. next step is typically a really custom demo where we actually show you what you can do with our product based on what we talk about today. Is that fair?
0: Sounds good to me. If you want, you can
1: also say like, you're obviously here to learn more about our product. So I will tell you, um, we'll give you a really nice preview of you know, of some of the ideas we have for how you like, how other clients are seeing value. And um, if you have any questions, like feel free to ask. Now, the other thing that that a lot of people don't follow that up with is asking what are your goals for the meeting? And that also gives you a lot of, um, usually you get a lot of um, information about what stage they're at in the process. You know, they're like, Hey, my goal, like we're, we're honestly just, uh, we're, we're just kind of exploring right now. We know that there are some challenges, but we don't, (laughs) this, this is definitely very early stage for us. Right. Or you're like, yeah, uh, we've actually seen a few other products. So we really just want to understand more about your product and how it compares in the market. It also gives you a lot in order to know how to adjust the rest of the conversation, you know? So there's you, so much value in just like a few key questions. But to your point earlier, like if you don't understand what you're trying to achieve through those questions, they can really fall flat or they're not really applied properly.
0: Yeah, like band prospecting. Oh can my gosh. We talked about maker? This. Do you have budget?
1: Do you have budget? No. Disqualified. Okay. I have worked at so many companies where, um, especially like my last company was, um my last two companies have been in in company uh my last two roles were in companies where there wasn't really an established market like my last company we literally called ourselves the biggest kept secret in marketing you know the uh spotify like year interview email my company did that so but like no one knew about them you know everyone knew the work and do you think that companies had budget for something they didn't know even existed Hell no. So you really have to, when you you use strategies like Bant, right? Like in, in, do you have budget? Like it's a good strategy. It's a good framework, but like bad application. Um, And I think that's really where the challenge comes for sellers when like, it's exhausting to be like, okay, I read a book, but like, how do I apply this? You know, and it, it can be really hard to find that balance between the conceptual philosophy and the tactical application.
0: Absolutely. One, and I I want to touch on this because you had we had said it in a pre-call and we haven't brought it up. But one thing that you had said and it really kind of honed in your passion for discovery and the whole thing is deep work and the healthy hustle. And I I would love to hear you expand on that a little bit because it really added value and understanding of why you are so passionate about discovery and why it works. Yeah.
1: Yeah so um, I talk about this a lot, uh, but I I feel like I'm a lot like a lot of top performers where most of my career, I was kind of living under the mantra of I'm not good enough and therefore I shall work my way to acceptance and like award and recognition. I was always working towards a promotion. And most of the time what that looked like was me being busy 24/7. And I was taking on a ton of projects. Like anytime anyone asked me, Hey, could you like help with this? I'm like, absolutely. Let me just like, you know, work until a a little bit later. And and it actually got to the point where I was working until 11 PM in the office almost every night. Um, And then it got to the point where it was like six months where I was working like 15 hours a day. Um, and I, I actually had a breaking point And I was like, when is the last time that I saw the sun when I left the office? And it was like two years ago. <laughs> and the funny thing is that you would expect for me to like have a lot of results from that work, you know? And what I found was that it was actually like a lot of busy work. It was a lot of like just bullshit, right? I was like doing a lot of things for other people and – was it better selling? No. A lot of times I was just so distracted, right? I was being pulled in so many directions that, um, even, you know, my training was just, it was actually full of a lot of fluff. I think this is a lot of, a lot of ways that like, that we as sellers feel, you know, Jeffrey's like, Oh, I understand that. That sounds familiar. Um, so it's interesting because when we think about better selling, I always tell people, I'm like, Hey, like, do you have two hours to prepare for a presentation? Um, or, you know, are you spending the next two hours on a pitch? Like, why don't you write down some notes, meditate on it for 30 minutes and really ask yourself, what do I want to uncover here? How can I ask questions and like, what is the absolute simplest way for me to convey that information and what, like, what do I need to change, you know? And I don't think that we're creating that space. So I feel like a lot of people are spinning and is actually, I'll tell you a story of a mentee that I had. Um, He is my typical client who my typical like one-on-one and group coaching clients, they're top performers. They're the people who are hitting like 225% of quota, uh, if not more, they're bringing on dream clients, but they're deeply afflicted by hustle typically. So he was like, Megan, I'm really struggling to even know uh, how to make time for better selling. Like I don't, I'm really struggling to find the time to, you know, do the, the group coaching or to do, for example, like I'm really struggling to figure out how I can build the time to even like work on my, on my Different types of calls, or like, you know, really prepare better questions and like change my templates, you know, that does take time and effort. So for me, um, I actually had him do a time audit and he realized like he actually created a separate calendar on his calendar. You can create, you know, a private calendar. And he, he was like, Megan, this is really enlightening. My last entry, 3 a.m., staying up to do a presentation. Instead, being consumed by anxiety and stress and finishing nothing. And I feel like a lot of us feel that that impact of hustle. It's like spinning your wheels. You know, you're working so much and then you look at your result and you're doing, you're creating a lot, you're doing a lot, but are you actually achieving a lot? And sometimes yes, but even for top performers who are hitting 225%, like one of my clients who recently worked with me, he like, he was hitting 225% of his quota. But he he was like, Megan, I don't want to work this hard. Like, I want to actually spend time with my family. I I how can I like better selling? It takes a little bit of initial investment, but it also brings a lot of ease to your life. So um, when we think about that, I think that like health healthy hustle for me can be very different than what we are used to with the hustle, which is you know, these mantras are, you know, more is better, always on, right? Like Slack, like, have you answered an email in five minutes? Um, So a lot of us are really calling in healthy hustle. Um, I have a few ideas on what it looks like for me. But I'm curious, like, what is healthy hustle look like for you? What comes to mind?
0: I have a couple friends, thanks to LinkedIn now from Europe. And they've been telling Mm -hmm. me about their work life and their schedule. And It's amazing how they live and work four, six, eight hour days, no more. And it's illegal. Like it's actually like very, not more than just frowned upon to go and, you know, answer emails in the morning or texts or like social media or, and I think the healthy hustle is that balance between where do you want to go
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and how do you do it without giving your life away? because. I, it's not a story that I tell very often, I had told you, but a few years ago, I, I almost died. I wore my burnout as a badge of honor and earned myself an all-inclusive 30-day hospital stay in which the, the first three days, I didn't know if I was going to live or die because of I was having advanced uh, organ failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, my go-to snack was pre-workout because energy <sighs> drinks were not strong enough.
1: I know the jitters that come from that. And you're like, I'm, I'm Superman, you know,
0: you're in the office, sleeping in the office because they, and showering in the gym and like living there just to go and put deals away. And the thing that I, that amazed me when I came back and it was, you would like hit a nerve with me when you said creating a better space for selling. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that this like healthy hustle is giving yourself time to learn being okay with failure having very honest conversations with yourself being like setting really great expectations having a life outside of work the biggest thing and please if anybody feels this when every conversation is just work because you literally have nothing else to talk about and that that, somebody hurts (laughs) somebody had mentioned to me before I started brewing beer They're like, have you ever noticed that you're not proud of anything or doing anything outside of work? And I, this is somebody I love and I means a lot to me and it hit like a ton of bricks and I've remembered that moment ever since. And now like I really hesitate to bring up work and it's really uncomfortable for me in friend settings because I don't want to make my life revolve around work anymore.
1: And it's interesting because I, that totally resonates for me, right? Like when I really started embracing healthy hustle, I had friends that were like, I'm so glad I get to know you now. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, you were always just working or even just like stressed. And you also don't realize that, you know, it really actually takes away your ability to even be present. And this is not just with your your uh you know your relationships and the people around you. It's also with clients, and I think that is a huge difference with discovery, right? Um, because so many times we're in these discovery calls and we're not actually listening. We're thinking about the next thing. We're thinking about the next question we want to ask. We're thinking about the how, oh my gosh, I need to get to the pitch already, like. I need to get through my talk tracks and we're not truly listening. And no wonder people feel disillusioned with sellers and with sales as a whole, right? Like clients hate salespeople. Um, not you as a sales pe- person, but like every bad salesperson they've ever worked with, you know, no matter we, we, we you no know, wonder why we get a, a bad reputation. And no matter why a lot of people are disillusioned with their sales careers, right? Because they're just getting pressure from uh, managers, from even like, Clients sometimes like, hey, can you just like get through this, you know, and for me, healthy hustle starts with having really clear goals, priorities and values. Right. I actually find that a lot of people are actually I have hustle as a part of their identity. Like I sure was. I wore it as a badge of honor as well. And now I actually value mastery versus hustle. And I really, there's a few books that have just been super meaningful for me. Um, One that I read recently is Essentialism and Must Read because it actually focuses on um, the fact that even like priority, it used to be, it's it's actually um, uh, the word was evolved to mean your primary focus, not like top five priorities. That's actually like very contradictory. It's the priority. Right. And so I think this is where, even when in discovery, like I, I think a lot of people, if we can shift to having mastery instead of hustle, then I feel like a lot of people, um, can, can really understand how, like what we want to achieve through discovery and like Michael just posted, should discovery be over two conversations to be more effective? No, it should be in all conversations. Discovery is, again, not just one call. It should be in every single conversation you, with, with you have, right? Having curiosity as a real core value. And for me, I also have compassion as a value. And I think this is what we're a lot of times missing is... Um, really understanding that like sales is so compassionate. It, it can be not, it is not always right. But even like for me, I really want to um, think about how we can bring more compassion to our discovery, right. By like understanding the goals, the pains, like really asking them, tell me a little bit more. And I also will tell you though, there's some real conflicts that come with that because I don't know about you, but like, I have a lot of people that I work with and they're like trying to grapple with the contrast between their values and the, in the way they want to sell and the way their manager wants them to sell.
0: Can I, can I add something in right here? Yes. I, Marcus Chan gave me an exercise a little while back. He's, and he said, what are your numbers, Nick? And I said, and it was a while back. And I was like, these are my numbers. And he's like, who created those numbers? Yeah. And I sat there for a moment. I'm like, my my manager, who else would create them? And it hit me. And he's like, does that give you enough time to do good work? Mm-hmm. It's like, holy shit. No, not no. I'm rushing through all my meetings because I have to hit like so many meetings in a day to go and hit my target. He's like. Why do you need so many meetings?
1: Because those numbers are based on close rates that are shitty because of bad selling.
0: They weren't based on any close rates.
1: So oh, they're just pulled out of a hat. Ass.
0: So yeah. when I, I, nobody took my quota or like where I wanted to be. Nobody and, you know, dumb mean didn't actually go through and do this. But I challenge everyone here today. Mm-hmm. Take where you want to be. Don't take quota. Take where you want to be divide it by your current closing rate and reverse engineer your activities so that it's real and then challenge yourself to clean up your closing rate by doing better prospecting better demand gen and what i found is instead of having to do 10 meetings a day based on my old activity metrics i could do one to three depending on what market i was targeting one to and, three,
1: yeah. And dude, the same goes for the way you're spending your time. Someone recently told me they're like, they're you know, they're like, oh yeah, I think we talked about this. Like, oh yeah, like I spent four hours about four hours in the oh, gym the today, gym. and I'm like, <laughs> wow. that sounds like you're not very effective in the gym. Imagine like people tell me they're like, yeah, I spent four hours doing this presentation, and I'm like you spent four hours on a presentation. What were you doing? Were you researching the client and like, and you know, like, like looking through their, uh, their uh, investor relations reports. They're like, no, I was like fixing the, the slides and like focusing on how we can pitch the product. And I'm like, Oh my God, like you're spending time in the total wrong space, you know? And so I'm like, imagine if you could just spend like, three hours on research and really thinking through like, you know, what you want, like the discovery questions, things like that. And like a little bit of time on the presentation. And I feel like we're just so focused on like the pitch, right. And like not spending enough time doing better selling, even like spend like spend one hour on rest. So you're really rested and like clearing your mind. So you can actually come to that that conversation with a lot of clarity as well. Um, but I am curious. Like I feel like we the like one thing I was really excited to do today is like that question around okay, like how can we do better discovery?
0: Yeah, I was, I was going to actually bring it back to even Kinder's question and kind of mm-hmm. like one thing you said to me that really resonated was how many how few meetings do we need to do to do this right? Yeah, it's not one meeting it's not two meeting there is no set and i was like yeah like you know you finish that meeting and you're doing the next steps do i have what i need to do my best work Mm -hmm. to go and represent the customer properly and put the best solution forward no okay schedule the next meeting
1: yeah so um i'm gonna tell you i could just like tell you yes you need more time but i'm gonna tell you why because I use a framework called MEDIC, which is based on the, um, it, it's just like the the key elements in any SaaS deal, right? It's uncovering metrics, the goals and what what they want to achieve and how they're going to measure that. Um, understanding the economic buyer, which is like a fancy way of adding a vowel into an acronym. <laughs> but it just means like the person who holds the budget, who's going to be involved, you know? Um the decision criteria, what are they looking for in a solution? You know, tell me a little bit more about what is important to you in this evaluation. The decision process, where are you at in the process? How, like, what does that look like? Um, What is the process to go from, you know, evaluation to purchase? And making sure that we're actually uncovering that and confirming it along the entire sales process. Uh, Identifying pain and the impact of that pain and, like, this is probably the most important aspect in the sales process. So, like again, not a one-time conversation. Um, making sure that we're uncovering the right champion and what is important to them and why they're like why this project is a personal win for them, and uncovering the competition and uncovering where you stand against the competition. Once you uncover, like once you realize how much, like those those are the core elements. And so once you understand how much is involved in the why change, why you, why now, you realize, like, I I literally have clients that tell me, like, oh, that's what we need to uncover. I need some more time. And I'm like, yeah. Right? So, like, I could tell you, yes, you need to do more discovery. But it's funny because a lot of times people tell me, like, I had one BDR who I love. And he was like, Megan, I don't think that I need more time. Like, I don't even know what questions I would ask. And I'm like, I have some ideas. And when we went into, you know, all that, like, these are the core elements of any deal. If you have time, like, make sure you ask more of these, right? And um, even like a quick uh, a quick tip, I think that a lot of salespeople are missing is at the end of the conversation, they're like, uh, they don't give themselves enough time because they're just pitching at, at people. And so usually the end of the conversation is like, oh, we actually have like one minute or my favorite. We're actually up on time. Do you have any more, you know, t- a little bit more time so we can like set the next steps and they're like, no, bye of any, of another meeting. No wonder we get ghosted. Right. So even um, leaving like five minutes at, at least for the end of the conversation to say, Hey, I would love to, you, you know, follow up on, on what we mentioned earlier, which is usually by the end of the conversation, we'll know if it, if it makes sense for us to move forward and, you know, through the conversation i have actually I, I see we have a lot to discuss right like sounds like you've been interested in this sounds like they we have some real pain that we need to solve and i'm really excited to tell you some more about how we can solve that for you um these are also a few questions that have come up that i definitely want to answer on a more technical conversation so the one thing i haven't really talked to you about is timing right can you tell me a bit about your timeline you know where you're at in the process um, don't ask you all these questions at once, but you know some follow-up questions and tell me a little bit more about what's behind that timeline. Okay, so based on that timeline, it sounds like we need to to get the next step, uh, step on the uh, the next call scheduled pretty soon, right? And and also one thing that I find is that on that more technical conversation, it's usually really valuable if we can bring in this person because usually they're going to want to see the technology anyway. Sometimes that happens a lot later in the process. So would it make sense for, based on the things that we just talked about that we want to cover on the next call for us to bring them in? Who else should we bring into that call? You see how much we can uncover if we make more space for it and if we understand what we're trying to uncover. And if you're a seller and you're like, I don't have time for that. I only have like do 15 minute discovery calls. Hopefully you have that aha moment of, holy crap, I need more time to do discovery, right? But also understanding like most people, most clients resist that if you're, uh, because we're not setting good expectations before the call. So I even let people know, I'm like, I actually have a a template for a pre-meeting email where it's like, hey, here's what we typically cover in the first call. We want a, a really good understanding of, you know, what you're trying to achieve, what you're trying to solve. Um, And we're happy to tell you a little bit more about our product, of course. Um, But in order to streamline that conversation, here's a few questions in advance. And you can ask some questions around like, hey, tell me a little bit about why, you know, what resonated or what you're you're looking to achieve. What are some of your goals? Um, You can ask some qualifying questions as well in that email. And even through that exercise of setting expectations for the call that it's going to be more focused on uncovering value, then you have more time and you also like have, have built an expectation that like you can, you can actually have more time for the call, you know? So expectations not only help you have a great call, everyone's happy, Right. But they also help you build a business case for more time for discovery.
0: Love it. Yeah. (laughs) Running with Bant just sells yourself short and Medic or even going in. And you don't necessarily have to use Medic, but it's a great framework. But the thing is, you have to go into enough depth that Mm -hmm. your proposal talks to them, not you.
1: Yeah. And there's two things I want to leave people with, like the the funny thing about um, discovery and pitch and the relationship is a lot of people feel like they need to fit everything into one call. Mm. The funny thing about the sales process is that, and sales in general, is it's okay to leave clients wanting to hear more. It's kind of the entire point, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. It's okay. if They're like, Hey, we have a few more questions. You're like, yeah, totally. And and it also gives you the opportunity to be like, Hey, you know, when you set an expectation and more of that upfront contract, right, we're going to learn a little bit more. And then the next step, you're also helping them understand and like setting expectations. We as human beings want to know what's coming next. It actually also helps you make more space for discovery, because if your client goes down a rabbit hole with a super technical question, you're like, Hey, that's a really important question you know, considering that next, we usually have more technical conversation. Um, I would love to, to have our our resources like, you know, save that question for the next call. Would that be okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I really want to dive into that. I want to have, you know, get a good answer. You're also building a business case for the next call, right? When at the end of the call, you're like, hey, it looks like we have a lot to cover. You know, these are some of the questions. Um, this is what you shared. Like, it's okay to, push off and to pivot and to say, hey, like the purpose of this call is we're learning more about, you know, what you're trying to uncover so we can tailor that next conversation. Is it okay if we move that question to that conversation?
0: I noticed that Julian asked a really good question at the start. I'm going to pull it up for us.
1: Yeah.
0: this is something we don't normally talk about. What can you do prior to that first call to really grow that champion and build the relationship? You know, with everything being social now, a lot of that rapport is getting built outside the meeting. So how do we start that process?
1: This is fantastic. This is literally one of my mentees. Uh, Shout out to Julian. Um, So I I think the easiest question we can ask, I always have a champion question in that pre-meeting email. Um, And yeah, I'm going to answer this actually pretty easily. I think that the best thing we can do to build really strong relationships with our champion is to set expectations to tell them the why behind things and to really tell them why like why we're asking the questions right um because i think a lot of times we don't realize that like our genies are really busy so for you to be like um hey this is exactly what we're going to cover these are some expectations and also to be give them a little bit of an out, right? Like, Hey, the first meeting is really focused on understanding it. If it even makes sense for us to move forward, that's really helpful. And that creates a lot of trust with your champion. I think a lot of times, like, yes, we want to build a rapport and yes, we want to. Um, I think a lot of people just think of rapport as fluffy and like it is, I think that, um, oh, it, it, you know, yes, we want to build trust with them, but the best thing you can do to set up a conversation is to show that you've got their time. And that they're going to get something out of that conversation, you know? So that's where that, yeah, trust and credibility. Right. And people don't want to be sold to, they don't want to be pitched at. So even just realizing that like for them to go through their challenges and their pain points, do you think clients always have a really clear understanding of these? Hell no. I've been a buyer and I'm like, okay, let me just brain dump on you. These are some things that we're struggling with. Like, What do you think? Because you have a lot of experience, you know, and usually we as sellers like, yeah, let me tell you about the product, but also recognizing that you're doing a service to your champions when you're helping them uncover pain, helping them map that to broader goals of the company and summarizing a really clear overview of what they're challenging, like what the challenges are, what the goals are, and from your experience what some potential solutions could be that's really really valuable to them
0: mm-hmm. plant that seed and keep that conversation going yeah so i have a question for you and i'm sure a lot of people in the audience are wondering do you do this with teams do you do it just with individuals <laughs> what does that look like megan how do you go yeah into discovery work
1: yeah so great question um for the last few years for like the last seven years i've i've worked internally within teams and I recently started my own company so that I could help more people. Um, and yeah, I just love it. So, um, I actually have been working primarily with teams, but I just recently started taking one-on-one clients and I'm actually launching a group course. Um, it's going to be 10 weeks focused on, um, better discovery and the medic framework, right? Just better selling in general. How can we uncover more of those medic elements that I mentioned, right? Uncovering more pain, more gain, um, uncovering a lot more of the decision process, the buyers, all of that in a really tactical way. Um, so 10 weeks of training, but also coaching. We're going to you know, dig deep and actually help you get more out of those conceptual frameworks. So that's launching we next frameworks. week. Yeah. Yeah. Nick's going to be a part of it too, which I'm so excited about. And Julian. So um, would love to have um, more people join us.
0: Where can people follow you? How can they connect with you?
1: Yeah, so um, the easiest way is on LinkedIn. I have a pretty unique name. You should be able to find me. Um, I have links to my website on my uh, LinkedIn, but it is that's T-O, I do have information about the, the medic program on, on my website as well.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today and all your questions. Make sure you connect with Megan. Megan always puts out great content, and she is alive in the comments. So definitely go and follow her. And thank you so much for joining us today. If you have other questions, shoot Megan DM or me. And we look forward to seeing you next week.
1: Take care, everyone. Thank you so much.
0: Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.